<laughs> All right, you ready? Welcome to Piecing It All Together. I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. We're glad you're here. Yes. Today, we are talking about everything from shalom and harmony all the way to this coronavirus and its impact on minority communities at a disproportionate rate. We've got a bunch of topics sent in. We had put out word that we were recording today and people prompted us with topics. So I'm excited to jump in to this with you and the listeners. We're glad that you're here and we love your feedback. Should be interesting. Isn't this our 60th program? Is it really? I think it is. I went back and uh, counted and I think this is number 60. So happy well, anniversary. Congratulations. <laughs> What's that? Is there? A, is that the? Is that a silver anniversary or? I'm not sure. For us, yeah, maybe like ten or something like that. Ten. <laughs> Aluminum foil. Aluminum. <laughs> uh, Randy, lots of stuff going on. We have a book discussion coming up next Tuesday nights, chapter four and five of Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys. We're looking forward to that. People can find links to that on Facebook, on our website, on Patreon. We'll be tweeting that and posting that. But next Tuesday night at 530, we're looking forward to talking about that. We're also getting some reviews of our book for the first time. We got a wonderful, we got a wonderful Amazon review that we're very grateful for. And uh, we wanted to ask people if you have extra time uh, in social isolation, if you would leave us an iTunes review or if you ordered our book, maybe a, an Amazon review, it would sure help us out because that's how they let other people know about uh, our work. Okay. That's a thing, right? Yeah. Well, let's jump into our topic for today. Randy, I was on a, a podcast thing last week with the church down in California. And they were wondering if I could ask you, and then somebody posted this on Facebook yesterday as well. There seems to be um, people wanting to know about the difference between Shalom and Harmony Way. So uh, is there a difference? Do they have a, a synergy together? How would you answer that question? Yeah, so so maybe we, we start out not looking at it from uh, sort of um, binary positions, um, like this has this and this doesn't. But I think what you said, there's a, a way that they complement one another mm-hmm. and they move in the same direction together. Okay. Um, and uh, so, so I did my uh, doctoral dissertation on the Harmony Way, uh, but I also compared it uh, with uh, Walter Brueggemann's Construct of Shalom, okay. um, which is a, pretty much um, throughout, he would say, throughout the whole of the scriptures. Um, So what Shalom does and what Harmony Way do are very similar. I use the word Shalom um, because I was trying to write to uh, Christian folks who would move from a more Western worldview to a more indigenous worldview, but I was concerned that if I just wrote about the Harmony Way that that they would not uh, read that because it, you know, wasn't relevant to Christianity or something. Oh, okay. So, but I often use those interchangeably. Um, Shalom, uh, what what I like to say is that it is 
there is both a personal aspect to it and it is structured. So I would call shalom um, in terms of justice and things like that, structured love. So it, it becomes one sort of um, an agent of change to create structures that, uh, that, that produce equity and equality and, you know, all the fairness and, and welcoming hospitality, all of those kinds of things. Um, and, uh, and, and that's what uh, both of them do. And so there's all of that in common. Um, but there's also this, um, this system that uh, um, is more culturally uh, geared toward Native Americans, where it includes things like extending your family uh, uh, to making relatives, um, uh, everyone having a place in society. Now, those aren't bad things at all. Those would be great ideas for a Western culture but they're, they're not as easily adaptable in a Western cultural framework. I see. So, okay. yeah, so the two, the two are moving the same direction together. There's some, maybe some slight differences, but, but I generally um, don't look at the differences so much, and I, and I just, you can use them interchangeably. All right. That actually is really helpful, because you can be, say, a Western you know, European, maybe even a religious uh, person and integrate some of the concepts of Shalom without completely um, critiquing sort of the overall system or adjusting your overall approach. You can sort of integrate it into what you're already doing versus it sounds like Harmony is a much bigger sort of initiative, a different maybe even worldview. Yeah, and it initiates in in our uh, indigenous constructs. It initiates from the creator and the earth itself. Okay. Um, and uh, the added sort of part to that, in terms of the Christian experience, would be to talk about Jesus as both creator and shalom bringer, uh-huh. uh, shalom keeper, the one who is introducing both and old and ancient and the new sort of understanding of or forgotten understanding of what it means to live a life of shalom. So uh, I would say that it's not just a heuristic principle throughout all of scripture, but it actually is the main principle. Jesus, when he talks about kingdom, which that word was translated as kingdom, is talking about, if you want to use kingdom, a shalom kingdom. He was talking about, which is which is almost the opposite, right, of a of an imperial kingdom. Mm. Um, Jesus was talking about an ancient system that both structured love and made safety nets for the disenfranchised and the marginalized. And, uh, and he was talking about um, proactive kinds of, of ways that uh, we do that in our own lives. Like for example, in first Peter four, eight, it says above uh, all love one another. Don't, you know, love covers a multitude of sins, love one another. And, And then the next phrase after like this main point of love is, uh, and no, don't neglect to be hospitable to one another when you invite someone in your home. So the expectation is that you will be inviting and welcoming and both Shalom and the Harmony Way always begin with that initial welcome. That is fantastic. I'm so glad uh, that this question came up. It was really good to hear you talk about that. Now in there, you used a very word 
which was heuristic. And that is one of my H words in the whole world. <laughs> H words. <laughs> yeah. It's one of my <laughs> in the whole world. And uh, the reason I love the heuristic, is especially as far as education and learning goes, is that it's a little thing that once you see it helps you to find that pattern in other places and, and be, continue learning outside of whatever the initial lesson was, the context or the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so once you have that, you can see it in other places, in new environments, in different um, interactions. And it becomes a, learn, a, a way to be a self-learner, to continue learning even after the lesson's over. Yeah. Good. So I, you know, I think um, some people might take heuristic uh, as a the principle I'm talking about of harmony or shalom mm -hmm. and say, you know, yes, you can do that throughout the scriptures and you can sort of put that together. But it's but it's not really the main thing. And I'm saying it's the main thing. Mm. It's the main thing. I mean, yeah, we have 66 different books yeah. uh, with all these different writers and all these different times. And, you know, I don't believe in the magic uh, committees that said, you know, this is inspired and this is not and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And, but, um, you know, I don't believe in the, the magic of bibliolatry. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I, I do believe that um, there is consistent through most of the scriptures a uh, shalom theme. It begins, I think, with the stories in Genesis 1 through 13, um, where shalom is broken at every level. And it starts out with this uh, shalom um, uh, construct of the harmony and balance in the creation. And it goes all the way through those stories where it's broken. And then the prophets are calling, uh, well, first of all, the law is creating laws of shalom that are what I call the shalom Sabbath jubilee principle. I tie them all together. Um, and, and those are things like, you know, if you leave uh, a bunch of grapes out in the field, don't go back and get them because the poor need them or wheat. Or if you um, uh, don't uh, garner the edges of your field, leave those for the poor and the wild animals and set aside a seventh of your land each year uh, for six years. And then the last year you set aside all of your land. And why? For the animals, for the poor, for people to be able to harvest their own stuff on your land. And so there are all these safety nets that are in place, taking care of the widow, the orphan, the stranger. Uh -huh. All of those are in the, the what we would call the, the more law books, um, Exodus uh -huh. and Deuteronomy, etc. And then we get into the prophets and the prophets are calling people to this shalom existence to 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 not rob the poor, but to to uh, share and that every person, these visions in mm -hmm. Isaiah and other, and other ones, are, you know, every person uh, uh, is able to. Uh, set down in, in harmony and, and fairness and have their own plot uh, where, uh, you know, um, swords are beat into plowshares and, and there's this, uh, this sort of uh, a great sense of equality that's going on and equity that's going on. Mm. And then, uh, and then when you get into, uh, and then your minor prophets, etc. cetera, um, and then you get into the new Testament and the, the gospels, the four gospels are a message of a, of a man, Jesus, who is bringing in the message of God, Yahweh, and that message is one of a shalom kingdom, um, or what I would call the community, a uh, concern for the community of creation. And so, and, and then those writings that come afterwards 
you know, all of your, you know, the, the books by Paul and Peter and the rest are all telling people in particular situations, every single book is an occasional book after the book of Acts, uh, which is sort of just the open window to take a look at what's going on. And then you go into the rest of the scriptures uh, until you get to the book of Revelation. And, and all of that is saying, here's how we live out this Shalom kingdom. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it's, but they're each addressing a specific problem throughout or several specific problems throughout those books. And so here's how we apply Shalom to those things. And that's, that's sort of my understanding of, of how this thing works from, from the perspective that I've been given and developed. Man, that was the most succinct presentation of that I have heard you do. And that was fantastic. That's an, I mean, if somebody was just uh, coming into a new understanding of that concept that you're presenting, that would be a, a wonderful uh, way, for, <laughs> way for them to get into that really quickly and get a big picture perspective on what's happening there. Good. Hey, I also noticed something interesting that you said you tied it in with concepts like uh, Sabbath and Jubilee. And right. so uh, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but, you know, sometimes I, I've heard before in other situations, people reference prophet, priest, and king as sort of three offices um, that we see uh, both in, in the life of Israel and then, and then for Christians, um, they try and say that Jesus fulfills some of that. I'm but pretty actually, uncomfortable with that king term. <laughs> yes I, i'm not sure that's what creator wants is kings ah, okay I, I think that's pretty well established throughout all the scripture as well okay interesting because i was gonna say that you have uh, obviously a religious or a, a the priestly thing in sabbath you have a justice element or the prophet part in Jubilee, which is returning things to their rightful place and rightful ownership. But then in Shalom and specifically in hospitality, you have sort of uh, an overall big picture uh, umbrella concern for the way that people interrelate the political. And mm -hmm. so maybe we should say the political, the priestly and the prophetic. Yeah, that sounds better. Got All three, right. Three P's. We need to get rid of that cake. Okay, we'll get rid of the K. We'll go with three Ps. But in the way that you presented that today, you know, I see that there's a political element in hospitality. There's a priestly element in Shalom. And there's a prophetic element in Jubilee. That's actually pretty interesting how all those three concerns are all integrated with, uh, with the Shalom concept that you're talking about. Yeah, that, I, I hadn't thought of it in those categories. Um, you know, the, the reason I'm so uncomfortable with the idea of king is because I don't believe that a creator has established hierarchy as a means of governance. And um, I think there's a whole lot that, uh, so, so nature itself, um, I think, can suggest that. But you remember when Israel's being uh, basically governed by judges, right? Yeah. And, and then the people want a king because uh, that's what, you know, right. neighboring countries have. And so yeah. uh, according to the story, yeah. uh, Yahweh says, no, you don't want a king. 
And they say, no, we want a king. And he says, okay, suit yourself. Right. And, and then Jesus, you know, comes on the scene and says, you know, hey, don't lord over each other. Yeah. Don't king over each other like the you see the Romans doing. You know, uh, instead, uh, put yourself under people, serve one another. Mm. And uh, so we, we like to take that as a virtue, but we don't take that as a structure. Uh, and, and I don't think that it's, um, it's a, a, a right interpretation to only take that as a virtue and not as a structural mm. principle. Interesting. Hey, that's a perfect segue. We didn't script this at all. But that's actually a perfect segue to the second topic that I wanted to talk about today, which is uh, this idea that uh, this virus, COVID-19, has people are starting to talk about how it is exploiting or exposing uh, our society's weaknesses. I was listening to one of my Canadian podcasts called Canada Land, and uh, in the most recent episode, 320, uh, the host said he, he came up with this interesting list, and it really stood out to me. And so I wanted to uh, throw it out to you because I know that you are watching uh, these things closely. So let me throw out this list. So, okay, so let me stop you. Don't throw it up to me. Throw it out to me, okay? Woo. Did I say throw up? I thought it out. <laughs> yeah, right. we don't want you throwing it up to me. We want you throwing gonna, it out. Okay. All right, here. So here's his list of the ways that this virus seems to have been perfectly designed uh, to exploit the societies of our, our society's weakness. Here we go. A creaky healthcare system, neglected seniors' homes, homelessness in the housing crisis, income inequality, precarious labor, over-reliance on globalized supply chains, the public distrust in authority, the public's distrust of politicians, the public's distrust in science, and the public's distrust of the media. All of that is just fuel for this bug, says Jesse, the host there. And that list really stood out to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? Well, uh, you know, the the... We just segued, but we're, you know, I'm thinking back to the idea of harmony and shalom and uh, the, the first principles to take care of the most needy, right? Mm. That, that, the, the whole first half of the list was all about that. Yes. It is amazing how the ideology that we have been governed by for the last 40 or more years, but this really come on this idea of the free hand of the market and right. It's just this false narrative that we've been uh, given is really coming up short in just little things like ventilators and masks for healthcare workers, uh, daycare for people, um, unemployment. So many issues are being exposed uh, right now by this virus that we really need to shore up when this thing is over because we sh probably should have been working on them ahead of time. Although there were voices saying this is not right. Um, but now it's been so illuminated. I don't know that we have a choice to return to the status quo and to the, the rut and the routine of normal life without fixing these things that have come to the surface. 
Yeah, there, there is not going to be. Uh, well, here's the, here's the thing. There may be a new normal, right? But there will be tremendous pressure on those capitalistic forces, which you just named. And by the way, that, that's not just 40 years. You know, uh, the founding fathers were reading Adam Smith and the Invisible Hand of the Market. Mm-hmm. You know, they were capitalists, too. And uh, so this whole country is really founded on uh, those kinds of selfish ideas. And, um, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're just going to kind of have this pressure from those forces to do what they've done before. They did it uh, after World War II. What did they do? The, the country's torn apart. The country's uh, salvaging. The country is um, uh, rationing all of this. Like, and we're actually in rationing right now. We may not realize it, but uh, uh, you go to the grocery store and you find out. And, uh, and it's going to get worse, right? We're, we're not anywhere near even, you know, past this thing. We're, we, we've got a long way to go, probably longer than we expect. But, but what happens is then they flooded everything with materialism. The 1950s were the most materialistic generation, maybe the 80s also, but the 1950s were the most materialistic generation uh, maybe to, to ever exist in America, you know, every, and they wanted to get the women out of the factories and back in the kitchen. So they created toasters and they created, you know, all these appliances and all these fancy things, you know, the new science ovens. <laughs> and uh, uh, <coughs> so, and then, then in the seventies, the sixties, seventies, you had uh, this old back to the land movement, bohemians, hippies, all of that kind of a thing. And so what happens is that we, we have the, the dot-com bubble and Wall Street and all the rest. And yeah. so the pressure is there to make us, uh, to show us shiny new things and to make us go right back into buying things and being selfish and being totally uh, uh, unconscionable, consumeristic. And right now we have the opportunity to pause and say, we will not allow that normal to come back, mm-hmm. but let's establish a new normal. And that new normal is one that has to be based on the kinds of um, harmony principles mm-hmm. and shalom that, that I've been talking about. We, we have a chance to reset and I hope, I hope that we can take it. And, and that means that we have to change both our worldview and our values in order to do it. Mm-hmm. It's a big, tall order. Both our worldviews and our values, our, our worldviews produce different values. Our Western worldview produces the kind of capitalistic, competitive, um, uh, scarcity uh, kind of um, things that, uh, that it does. And then uh, a more indigenous worldview, uh, the people who actually have known how to live on this earth in this particular place, Turtle Island, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And the wisdom that's been garnered there uh, from our elders and traditional people. Um, those are the values that are going to sustain us. Hmm. Well, the thing that I was alluding to with the 40 years ago is this new era uh, since Reagan of uh, neoliberal regulation that uh, is such a, I mean, for me, it's so frustrating. You know, I, I, I'm totally okay with people disagreeing I know that there are different perspectives. There are different priorities. There are so many different things. I I totally get it. But what I cannot abide is lies. 
And one of the lies that infuriates me is this free hand of the market that in some way that we've personified the market in that it's like almost like a godlike thing that you just have to trust that it has, you know, in the end, you're the best benefit for everybody. It's such a lie. And the reason I know that is that, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when we had the financial crisis, um, the government bailed out like the too big to fail banks and the car companies right. because we don't trust the free hand of the market. Exactly. And so over the last 40 years, there have been so many examples of whether it's deregulation or breaking up monopolies like the, the, the Bell telephones or whatever it was, where you cannot trust the free hand of the market for the, the corporate or societal good. You have to regulate it because it's not trustworthy. And so that entire ideology that gets promoted is so such a fiction. It drives me crazy. Right. There is no free hand of the market. Yeah. The market will always, uh, if there is a hands, those hands are shoving all the good stuff to the top and shoving all the other people down. That's the hands. Ugh. Hey, we're going to transition again to a third topic, but it's somewhat related. And uh, it's how we talk about this virus. So I've noticed an interesting trend, Randy, which is, all right, I'm going to start in a different place. You know how sometimes we use language in funny ways, like we'll say like about a painting that it, you know, that really spoke to me. Sure. But of course the painting didn't speak, right? It's, it's just, this is what we do. We personify things. We give them like characteristics of a human. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, you know, everything works on vibrations. Oh, you're getting all, whoa. And, uh, and so uh, and from a, a quantum at a quantum level, everything is actually speaking. Oh, interesting. See, this is why I love uh, being in conversation with you is sometimes I think that I'm really going to round a corner and get out in front of something and that you've already been there. You're already, you're waiting for it. Oh, that, that's, I'm sure that's not true for a lot of things. But, you know, I mean, we do, we, and this is a place where, uh, we talk about everything having life and breath and, mm. you know, every piece of wood um, and everything. And, you know, if you look at those under uh, a subatomic microscope, um, all of that stuff is actually moving and interacting, even with your own hand as you put it on the table. And so th nothing's really um, standing still. Mm. You know, nothing is, is really uh, the, um, the, the dead Thing that we see, although some of our elders have said that plastic is actually something, a material that's dead. But is that right? Yeah. Uh, so um, I'm, I don't know about that, but I, I do know that um, everything reacts and to one another, that we are all related to each other, and that everything uh, is uh, alive with at least vibration, if not breath. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and so so, you know, I mean, maybe yep. a painting is speaking to you on, on some subatomic level. I don't know. Interesting. But, but I, I get what you're saying. Right? No, I no. That was, that was a fantastic pushback and has given me a lot to think about. So Because I use this analogy all the time, and so I might have to revamp that. All right. So let me throw this one by you. So when we talk about – I have heard so many uh, – we call it personifications or putting personality traits on this virus when we talk about it. 
So like I've heard people say that the virus doesn't discriminate or that the virus doesn't care about your political affiliation or that Joe Biden said that, by the way, or that the virus doesn't care about your wealth or your religion or your income level. Yeah. Now that it, is anthropo that, that is creating uh, 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 what do we call it? Uh, yeah. And anthropomorphism anthropomorphisms. Yeah. That, you know, I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you saw Madonna did a video where she was in a bathtub and she was talking about how it doesn't care if you're a celebrity or what your zip code is, your education level. So anyway, I've heard people say that this, this bug doesn't have prejudices. Okay. And that caught my attention because I think that that is something that white people would truly love to believe (laughs) (laughs) because they, it. it would be comforting if this was seen as some sort of great equalizer. Yeah, like we're all the same, right? Exactly. We are underneath our skin. We're all the same. But here's the thing. We actually are finding out that this thing, this bug or virus, kills in communities of color at a disproportionate rate. I've listened to shows um, about how it's affecting the black community. I've heard shows about how uh, Latino people are especially susceptible. And some of our posters, our commenters on Facebook yesterday when we put out this prompt mentioned that for the Native American community, it's especially devastating. Yeah. So let's let's take this apart and kind of look at it. Um, First of all, yes, in one sense, yeah, maybe it doesn't discriminate. But we have discriminated. We built a society and, a, and all these systems based on discriminating uh, so that um, poor folks, black folks, uh, native folks, Latinx people, all are sort of uh, on the bottom shelf when it comes to protections. So if you look at our prison industrial complex, that's true. Um, if you look at uh, poor neighborhoods where there's uh, less safety because of air pollution and immune systems are more compromised and all of those kinds of things. There's all of these uh, systems that are in place and they're meant to be that way. This is what we have to realize is that society is acting in the way that it was established to be. So white people are on top and everybody else is underneath. And, and there's no, it's not a unthought of consequence that, um, brown people are getting and black people are getting sick at higher rates because of how America has been established. Wow. So I, that's even stronger than what I was going to say. Because what I was going to say is it may not discriminate, but it certainly does pick on people who either A, aren't wealth wise, don't have the ability to social distance or B, have the ability, for instance, if they need to take public transportation or they need to work yeah. you know, in order to feed their family. So it may not discriminate, but it sure does pick on the poor and the vulnerable. Yeah, you, yeah, and all that's, that's true. Um, and, and, and it's planned, planned to be that way. Um, so, you know, Native Americans are not, uh, we are not uh, new to the idea of uh, infections and disease. Um, 90 
plus percent of uh, Native Americans in this country died in the first hundred years because of European diseases. Some um, unintentionally, even though it was celebrated after it was unintentional um, by the white folks, and some very intentionally, smallpox blankets and things like that. Mm. So, um, so we know the devastation that can happen from a pandemics. We've experienced it. We lost a lot of our culture and medicines and elders and all of those kinds of things. Uh, land because of it. As a result, um, the you know white folks with the attitude they had when they came in was, oh well, this land is ripe for the pickings. They're not using it, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. So, so, um, so yeah, it is a a uh, shame that uh, people are using that because it can almost be seen as a, using that phrase, like it doesn't discriminate mm-hmm. to be, to be seen as a way of just keeping things as they are. And, and that means that it is, uh, it, it is discriminating. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because if this is seen as some sort of external force, like an alien invasion that brings us all together under a common cause, Right. We can rally around that without making any systemic adjustments to the inequalities and, 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 and disproportionate elements of our society because we're all in this together, right? So that would be one benefit of why that narrative is so attractive to some folks. But I also think it's, there's something that makes me very nervous because the narratives that we are most attracted to, they tell us something about not just how we want to see the world, but they actually cover up in some sense um, something that we don't want to see in the world. Sometimes the narratives that we buy into and repeat to each other help us to turn a blind eye to the elements that we would rather not focus on. Absolutely. If, if, uh, if this is doing anything, hopefully it's helping us to see what's going on in, in our real world. Um, so, for example, uh, on our Indian reservations, um, our, our reservation communities and, and also urban Indian healthcare are always the first ones to be cut when funding is cut um, for Medicare and Medicaid and you know, um, block grants for housing and all those kinds of things. So we always suffer uh, the most and first. But then when you consider Native health, which we have like the, the worst of everything. So, for example, adult onset diabetes in some communities is 40 times that of the national average. Oh, my. And, and what makes you more susceptible to coronavirus? Yeah. Uh, one of the things is adult onset diabetes. So... Uh, you know, all of these things um, uh, can be just sort of like glossed over mm. it, by saying, hey, this doesn't discriminate. We're all equal. But it's just not true. I heard uh, one of the podcasts I listened to is called The Gist and Mike Pesca, the host. He said it this way. I thought you would like this. He summarized that whole sentiment that we've been talking about as the <laughs> The virus does not have hate in its heart or said a different way. It only has hate in its heart, but it's equal hate for everyone. Uh 
<laughs> That's how he summarized that sentiment. Yeah. So, so and it's true, and I and I don't want to minimize the fact that uh, people of all incomes and social status are dying. Yeah. Um, and getting sick, um, but at the rate that it's happening. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, some uh, maybe super paranoid people, not me, but uh, uh, might even say that that uh, uh, the irresponsibility of the government. And allowing this to go on in the way they did and the irresponsible handling that is still going on is sort of a eugenics move um, to, uh, you know, it's going to disproportionately hit black and brown people and poor people. And so, you know, there's nothing that some groups in this society would like better than that. So maybe they didn't cause it, but, you know, hey, why stop it if it's doing the job they want done? goodness you know that oh that is no i now because i trust the government you know i i wouldn't think that right i mean native (laughs) americans all trust the government and their intentions (laughs) you had such a good track record that's right they've done such a great job uh, dealing with native americans since the beginning you know on a really serious note i have been um, watching the racial elements of the verbiage uh, since this thing started. And between it being an Asian virus in some people's language, closing the border um, because of immigration, and then how it is impacting uh, minority communities, whether that's Native American or Black or Latino, there is a racialized element to how we think even about this thing And so I think that the attraction or the allure of this narrative that it has no prejudice, that it it doesn't discriminate, is to cover up at some level the discomfort that we have with the racialized components that are being exposed. Yeah. And we didn't, you know, and and because and I and I want to, you know, um, apologize to uh, uh, Asian folks out there. Yeah. You know, uh, they weren't mentioned in this. And, and there's a reason for that. And, you know, um, the uh, a lot of times Asian people, you know, uh, get the jobs, they have higher incomes, etc. And so they're not often counted with Native Americans, um, you know, Latinx and African Americans. And often even uh, Native Americans are left out of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but Asian people uh, are not. Um, accepted by white people, no matter what income, and especially if you're Southeast Asian. So, so I don't want to disregard that element yeah. of society and, and what's happening. And they in particular are being, um, uh, this thing is being racialized against Asian people, but, you know, partially because of Trump and his, uh, you know, ridiculous keeping calling it the, the Chinese flu yeah. and, and uh, all of that sort of thing. Um, and um, and so I, I don't want to discount the fact that Asian people are suffering as a result, and they're also suffering uh, racism as a result of what's being yeah. done in our society and the mores of this society. Yeah, it's amazing how, you know, say just a year ago, um, one of the conversations was about uh, Asians as a model minority and trying to undo that narrative. And the one of the really scary things that's happened with this virus has been the 
explicit and just manifest racism against Asian people in out in public. Yeah, and that's always a uh, a disappointment because um, you know. So, so for example, if you look at um, um, uh, university professors, uh, full time professors around the whole university, uh, graduate and undergrad system across the United States, only 11% of those professors are uh, people of color, faculty of color, mm. but 6% are Asian, right? Oh. And then the medical field, I'm sure it's even much higher huh. um, in, in science and, you know, things like that. But, um, and, and so there's an, there's, a, there's an achievement there to be proud of, right? Of yeah. communities who, um, kind of uh, lift themselves out of poverty and achieve and work hard and all that kind of stuff. Um, but at the same time, no matter what you do, there's that element in white society where you will never be accepted. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so we, we have to face that and deal with it as it is in order to change it instead of like just sort of get along and think it's going to mm-hmm. change. You know, Randy, when I, uh, when we first started talking about this episode, I had thought that there would be three very distinct topics, the shalom harmony conversation, and then the exposing the system um, weaknesses, and then this racialized part of the um, virus and the way we talk about it. But, you know, they have come together in a pretty good way in contrast between a harmony perspective and some of the Uh, things in our society that have been exposed, this has actually come together as sort of a coherent whole podcast. Uh, Well, you know, it's all related, right? Yeah. (laughs) I I don't see it. I'm not good at uh, uh, categorizing things, but... uh, No, that's really good. To me, it's all related. And, it, you know, all is part of our middle name. So that's right. I don't mind. I don't mind it. And piecing it all together. (laughs) Listeners, we would love some feedback. We've covered a lot of ground here today, and we would love some feedback. Thank you for letting us know topics that you'd like to talk about. By the way, Randy, there were other suggestions like some people said in um, situations that they were concerned about. Um, We had covered in our epistemology episode, How Do I Know Things? couple episodes two episodes ago we had covered some different scenarios narratives or stories and how they challenge different ways of thinking about things and so some people have sent in things we can probably do an episode next week on um you know when when people disagree and they see things in such entirely different ways what do you do with that so that might be yeah that's that polarization that that would be a good topic yeah we need to do this Yeah, we'll cover that next week. We also have the book club next Tuesday night if people want to join us. uh, Chapter 4 and 5 of Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys. We want to thank our Patreon supporters for their ongoing financial support. And we could uh, always use more of that as we try and broadcast and open up this conversation to a wider audience. We want to invite people to do an iTunes review, an Amazon review of the book. There's lots of ways that they can engage. But we just want to say thank you for listening in and please share this episode with anybody who you think would be interested in this conversation. Yeah. So we appreciate you joining us and we want you to get in on this conversation with us. You know, we're trying to figure out the best ways that we can to involve you in the conversation because, you know, we just don't know everything, but we're still trying to piece it all together. Yeah. 
Thank you again. We will see you in the coming days. Peace out.